Welcome to the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast. We share sermons, teachings, and messages from St. Barnabas Anglican Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm Father Andrew, the senior pastor at the church, and I'm glad you're listening today. You're always invited to worship in person on Sunday mornings at 8 and 10 a.m. and on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. You can also visit us online at stbarnabas.us. That's S-T-B-A-R-N-A-B-A-S dot U-S. And now, enjoy the podcast. Well, it seems that um, even the king of the jungle knows when he's been outgunned. Facing an entire herd of buffalo, um, this lion made a rather wise decision. It's an actual photo that uh, two on safari in Kenya actually captured. Um, The subsequent photos show everything that played out up to this moment. Um, That lion and his lioness approached a herd of buffalo um, and kind of laid in the bush. Um, The buffalo quickly realized that while they did not have strength, um, they did have numbers. And so they quickly rallied. uh, And while they didn't get the photo of it, the lioness uh, apparently took off with quick speed. Um, But the king of the jungle, neither accustomed to running in front of or behind his food, was a little slower uh, to figure out what to do. And by the time it registered to him um, what was occurring, um, they got this wonderful photo. And those on safari said it was uh, quite incredible. Um, You could actually see the fear in his eyes um, as he ran away. Um, Because as they pulled up, um, they quickly assessed the situation and watched as this lion uh, tried to figure out what to do. And when he was charged at by these herd of buffalo, um, they quickly uh, realized they didn't need a second invitation and they darted away. I was pondering on that this week um, for several reasons, and I share it with you today because as we begin uh, this first full week in Lent, I believe there's kind of a wonderful image, if you will, uh, for us as we do so. This season, as you know, is intended to draw us closer to Jesus on the journey uh, to Easter morning. But doing so, doing so in terms of drawing closer to Jesus is often far easier to say than to do. And if we're honest, it's a battle. In fact, our uh, baptismal vows, at least in the questioning of the things that we turn from before we turn to Jesus, those threefold questions capture the battle in terms of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the things that we often are at battle amongst in that journey to draw closer to Jesus and embrace him more fully. And it's a battle that truly we cannot face on our own, something that we don't have strength on our own to face, And so as this image wonderfully highlights, um, we do so together. Therein is the need and the call for the church to stand with each other, to encourage one another, 
to exhort one another and to spur one another on so that whatever we might name that lion as at any given time, whether it is uh, the desires of the flesh that draw us from the love of God, um, whether it is the world and its assaults upon us, or whether um, it is indeed uh, a battle with the devil himself, um, we might be able to see him flee before the household of God that stands to spur one another on week in and week out. We know that, of course, Jesus is the only one that's sufficient in and of himself to withstand such temptations. And as we begin Lent, we do so with this text that we often always engage in one of the Gospels and Jesus' own temptation. And in that threefold uh, temptation, as we go through it this morning, if you want to follow along on the screens or if you've got your Bibles to look on with, um, we discover a few keys that Jesus leaves us as he contends with the world, the flesh, and the devil um, in his battle with the devil himself, um, and leaves us with some reminders as to how we can overcome them by the same grace of God uh, at work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So take a look with me briefly at it. Um, In that first temptation of Jesus, uh, the battle truly is with the flesh. Jesus has fasted 40 days and 40 nights, we see. He's hungry and he's fatigued. And With this first contention with um, the devil, he plays to that allure of the flesh. Jesus, of course, as we know, is both fully God and fully man, tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. And so his first temptation is a bit of a twofer, um, Satan's that is. Uh, First, to break his fast, and second, to prove who he is, namely the Son of God. Jesus' retort, as we see it, of course, in verse 4, is with Scripture. But in that retort and in this uh, first battle, Jesus shows us not only how we can combat the flesh, namely in leaning into God's word, but he shows us what such moments of self-denial produce. Namely, a greater reliance upon God's word and upon our reliance upon his will at work in us as we deny ourselves of something so that we may be filled with something greater. So as we reflect on this, we discover that perhaps one of the first um, keys that Jesus gives us to growth in holiness, to growth in his likeness, um, comes in times of self-denial. It's a pattern, as we know in this season of Lent, to deny ourselves of something. And as we do so, it's um, from that place that as we uh, remove whatever may be in our way that stands between us and Jesus in these 40 days, whatever we combat in our own heart um, and deny those cravings, that we lean more fully. We're not just creating a vacuum of more space, but rather refilling that with something greater, namely a reliance upon God in our areas of weakness. And as Jesus reminds us, that comes as the word made flesh dwells on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we often, too, lean into the body of the church, lean into the pages of Scripture, and are sustained uh, weekly in word and sacrament. Now, if you've ever attempted to deny yourself of anything, you know that that's not an easy task, right? Um, You know, if you've tried to give up something for Lent before, even if it's something as easy as chocolate, uh, we think um, that, you know, quickly we cave or quickly we just flat out forget. In ourselves, we are not sufficient in ourselves to do that. Because rewiring our habits, rewiring our desires is not an easy task. And so we need one another 
to spur one another on so that we may continue in this race that God has set before us in this journey of life. So after this first battle, having lost it, the devil moves on to another tactic, another contention, if you will. Back in verse 5, uh, we discover that in the second battle, Jesus is faced with a head-to-head with the devil himself. And we discover that as Jesus is taken, as we read, um, to the pinnacle of the temple. And Satan contends, having realized that um, the word made flesh will always use the word of God and every uh, thing that proceeds therefrom uh, to retort him. And so this time he tries a different tactic. He tries to use scripture itself. Twice, in fact, as we note. But we discover that the enemy's tactics are nothing new. Um, Just as we heard in our first reading from Genesis, the way in which he approaches that is always to distort, to twist, to pervert, to lift out of context, and to create confusion and doubt. We notice that in the very beginning, where sin enters into the world through a choice to depart from God. Of course, um, when there's that, did God really say? Well, he may have said that, but here's what he meant. Um, And so likewise, in the same manner, nothing new, of course. Um, Satan contends once more, well, if you really are the son of God, um, then why don't you do these things? Prove it, if you will. Jesus, who alone can stand a head-to-head with the devil, um, contends by employing scripture and well as well. But he alone knows the full context and breadth of scripture. And while Satan may twist and pervert and try to manipulate, after all, uh, our great contender and enemy, uh, the devil, has no clay with which to work himself, but can only manipulate and distort and pervert that which God makes. He can't speak on his own authority. He has nothing of his own with which to work. And so all he can do is manipulate and twist and distort. And so as he tries to do that, Jesus reminds him, uh, of course, of the broader breadth of Scripture, that while those may be citations, we are not called to put God to the test. And so in this um, battle, I think Jesus leaves us um, with perhaps uh, a lesser obvious but um, equally great reminder as to how we can grow in his likeness. And that comes as we guard our heart. Uh, When we are steeped in God's word, um, when we lean in in times of worship and silence as we do uh, and in Sundays and at other points in the week when we spend time with the Lord, um, we discover that uh, we quiet our hearts among the shouts of the lies of the enemy and the world out beyond our doors and remind ourselves that we need uh, to draw closer to Jesus in order to be sustained for the journey that lies before us. And so denial of self is one way that we do so, but it comes in community. It comes as we abide and remain in him. And it's something we're called to each and every day. Certainly in this season, as we slow down and we create more space through the denial of uh, ourself and certain disciplines, whatever those things may be, um, it's to bring about a change of heart. But notice that that change of heart cannot come without your will, without your consent. It's a cooperative project of the gospel, if you will. Um, We cannot do it without God's help, but he will not do it without our consent. And so we're reminded, as Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. 
And so we take great efforts in this season by God's grace to do that, tending to the weeds in the garden of our heart, um, whelming the temptations that may arise, um, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, not allowing room for bitterness or anger, whatever that may be. Above all, keeping that uh, soil of our heart uh, fertile through forgiveness and through thanksgiving as we seek our Lord. So we're called to be attentive to our heart above all else. And lastly, in this uh, last contention with the devil, having overcome this battle, um, Jesus uh, then is taken once more to contend with the world itself. Taken on a high mountain, the devil, as we read back in verse 8, tries to tempt him to have it all. Remember, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is before all of the um, times and the sleepless nights and the one-on-one conversations uh, trying to soften and reveal to hardened hearts one after the next over the next three years um, that he's standing with this opportunity which Satan gives him to have it all right in that moment, to overcome it all, to reign and rule and receive the accolades of men, and if we might indeed let our minds wander, to even uh, forego the cross itself, if he had bowed down to Satan and had been given dominion over everything. The allure of the world was great. It always is. And the greater contention, of course, is that it happens in secret. It's just Jesus and the devil. No one would ever know. All these things are at work. The normal things that prey on our minds as well. But Jesus knows what's at stake. And he overcomes this temptation in the only way uh, that it can be overcome, through worship of God. So that all the things of the world that call for our attention, call us to bow down before them, um, we bow down before the one who creates them all and intend to reorder and reorient our hearts and lives. And I think therein is that last uh, reminder that Jesus gives us. That above all else, as we guard our hearts, we do so through worship of God, So that as you do what you do here on Sunday mornings and orienting your life, bringing yourself quite literally to church, it reminds us that what awaits us out those doors um, can only be contended with through these times of worship in God's presence. As Jesus overcomes um, these temptations, he reminds us, of course, that the only way that we can do so in our hearts and lives is by following in the way of the cross. And as I shared uh, a little bit earlier this week in another service, there's a great uh, visual reminder that a dear colleague of mine made of the cruciform way in which we do so. Um, You'll notice that what we reflected on this morning is first that downward direction and the denial of self, the denial of the flesh, which guards our heart in that inward direction, which we're called to do in the tending day in and day out, and that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in that upward motion. What we've not talked about are the outward arms, which, of course, were outstretched for us upon the cross, as Jesus did. But in our lives, the outward love of neighbor and love of the church, I believe, comes as we stand together. As I started and as that image rings in our minds or kind of calls to mind, the only way that we can do these things is by God's grace at work among us. We need one another to chase off those temptations and trials as they come. We need one another to just chase off the battle of our mind that um, it it may not be worth it or that um, we can't uh, see any change or we'll just get bogged down or whatever that may be. 
Those things go on loop and repeat, and once we're isolated, it's much easier to succumb to those lies on our minds. So here's what I want to propose, actually, as a church-wide discipline this Lent. Um, In addition to whatever it is that you may give up, this Lent that may stand between you and Jesus, whether it's screen time or um, food or whatever it may be. Hopefully that creates space in your life. And so what I'd like for you to do is to join in investing in community here during these next 40 days. Not in terms of service in God's house, while that may be nice, but truly investing in time to spur one another on and to be spurred on. So this week, I've twisted a few arms, and I think they are going to give you a phone call or an email over the next week or so uh, throughout the parish, and I hope you'll respond. Um, I hope that you'll take the opportunity to just meet twice a month, bi-weekly, maybe for an hour, and get to know one another, which may be exactly what we do through the course of the spring and even into the summer. Maybe in the fall we'll pick up some studies towards that end. But I think more than just doing study and prayer, what it'll allow us to do is to learn more about one another, support one another, find those who've uh, missed worship for a while and call them back in, uh, to find those who are sick or wrestling and to lift them up, and to find ways that we can indeed um, be that strength in numbers that continues to help us in our day-to-day walk with the Lord. So my question, I guess, to you is, will you give that a try with me in this 40 days? And then will you discern, indeed, that as we do so, um, that we walk in the way of the cross together to answer that phone call or that email uh, in the days to come? So that as you make that investment in your own life, you're making it also in the investment of others so that they may be spurred on to do the same. I know that if you do, it'll bear rich fruit, not only in your own soul's uh, health and growth, but in the investments you make in them. And I believe that it will transform us uh, individually and corporately as a church and God's call upon our lives as we uphold one another in the upward call of Christ Jesus, which is uh, our act of worship. So may God grant us grace as we press into him so that we may continue that good race and press on towards that upward call of Christ Jesus in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. And we'll see you next time. This episode of the St. Barnabas Anglican Church podcast is copyright 2020 St. Barnabas Anglican Church in Fort Worth, Texas, all rights reserved.